WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Lonborg is within one out of his biggest victory ever, his 22nd of the year, and his first over the Twins. The pitch is looped towards shortstop. Petroselli's back. He's got it. The Red Sox win. Hello again, everybody. Those of you that are Red Sox fans, I'm sure recognize the voice of the great Ned Martin describing that wonderful catch by Rico Petroselli in 1967. And it's a great pleasure to have that man on the line with us who made that catch. And Rico, it is, it is really a thrill for me to be able to talk to you. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and talk with you. And you're, you're a, a legend. You kidding me? <laughs> you talk about me. Uh, the, the people that you've worked with uh, over the years uh, are, you know, the top uh, sports broadcasters uh, in their field, really. Uh, you know, Bob, Bob Lobel and uh, you know, many others. Yep. But uh, so it's great to be on with you, Ken. Well, listen, I was in the right place at the right time. Boston, 1967 was my first year in Boston. Now, when you made that catch. Were you thinking, oh, my God, I don't dare drop this? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, the great thing was that it wasn't very high. Jim Lonberg, of course, had a great year when the Cy Young Award threw a pitch inside uh, to Rich Rollins, and he hit it off the handle, and the ball went up, uh, uh, I don't know how many feet, but it wasn't high. And so I was waiting under that and I squeezed my glove so hard that I almost sprained my wrist uh, to make sure I didn't throw it. I didn't miss that. Oh my God. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go back a little bit. Tell me what it was like growing up in Brooklyn, New York with three baseball teams and your love of baseball and how and who signed you to the Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, I go back, uh, yeah, a long time, obviously. Uh, and they had the three teams and the, the, the Giants, Yankees, and Dodgers, uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. And it seemed like every year I was growing up that the Yankees would be playing either the Dodgers or the Giants in the World Series. Of course, the reason, because all three teams had great players. And Mickey Mantle was a center fielder with the Yankees. Duke Snyder. Uh, these are all Hall of Famers. And of course, probably the greatest player, Willie Mays for the Giants. So, wow, you can imagine how exciting that was. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of I was actually really truthfully, <laughs> I was more of a Dodger fan than a Yankee fan. But coming from uh, the youngest of seven, four brothers, they're all Yankee fans. And I said, well, you know, in American League, I made that as too. Well, yeah, I'll like them in the American League, but the Dodgers, Ebbets Field was like Fenway. I mean, it was just great. The fans were close, close to the players, and they were rabid fans and emotional. And it was just so much fun to be be at the park as opposed to Yankee Stadium. And, and uh, Polo Grounds, they were monstrous uh, stadiums. And so, you know, you couldn't get really get close to the players, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought maybe I might sign with one of the, one of the teams, 
uh, either the, the Mets were just in their uh, first year, and, of course, the Yankees. But the Yankees uh, told us that they had signed about five or six players prior to my graduation, and they couldn't do any more. And then the Mets, Mets were looking elsewhere. So I had, a, I had all the teams looking at me, but I got invited after graduation to 10 teams for, for the weekend to work out. And the first, I picked Boston. And the reason is because uh, the two scouts, one was a full-time scout, one was a, what they call a bird dog, that he lived in the area and he would come and see the players, either in high school or college. And they were great. They were just great to me. Came every single game talked to me afterwards and then came up to the house. And so that was the first place to go. And I, my mother and father who knew nothing about baseball came from Italy, you know, and uh, my, my brothers of course did, but one of my brothers made the trip also to Boston. It was a three day workout. It was great. I mean, I saw that wall. I said, Oh boy, yeah, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> so so we worked out. I didn't hit a ball out of the cage the first night. It was Friday night. Saturday, a little different story. I, you know, it was daylight and saw the ball, and I, I cranked about 10 up in the net. And the next day, they, instead of working out, they said we'd like to see you up in, the, up in Mr. and Mrs. Yawkey's uh, conference room, which was enormous, uh, made of mahogany, everything was. And uh, – you know, I said to my parents and my brother, we'd like to sign Rico to a, to a contract for the Red Sox, and uh, we think he'd like it here. And uh, they offered some money. Now, at that time, they, were ha they had bonus babies. They didn't have the draft. So they, they offered me $65,000. And in those days, it's like, you know, my eyes popped out of my, and my mother, my father. And he said, what's that? $65,000. Oh, my God. He's a, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> so <laughs> we did it. We signed with them. And I'm not sorry I did, boy. I tell you, it was just great. Now, when you got there in 1963, yeah. if I'm right, Johnny Pesky was your manager. Was he any help to you as far as playing shortstop was concerned? Johnny Pesky made me a shortstop. We... We had gone uh, a couple of years before all the young guys in, in February to uh, to spring training, early spring training, so they can kind of check out all the young players. And at that time, I think the Sox signed me because uh, uh, signed me at third base because uh, Frank Malzone was towards the end of his career. He had a few more years left, and maybe they wanted to you know wanted me to be a third base. Well, there were about six players there who were third base and nobody at short. That's weird. So <laughs> Eddie Papowski and, and Johnny Pesky says, once you go over shortstop, being a couple of guys and okay. So we started working out at shortstop and I, you know, I felt good there. I mean, uh, I played some shortstop in high school and, and in uh, amateur ball. And so they said, okay. So when came back in a day or two, and they said, you're going to be a shortstop. I said, okay, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I just want to play 18 years old. So, you know, I just want to play. So 
And Eddie Papowski, Pesky was the guy who said, you're going to be a shortstop. But Eddie Papowski started working with me. And I want to tell you, we worked for hours and hours in the double play, you know, the backhand, the, the, the slow ground ball, past the pitcher, and just worked and worked and worked. And uh, it, was, it was just great. It was great. Now, Pesky left and Billy Herman took over. Yeah. Was he kind of uh, uh, minor? Uh, uh, well, what can I say? Was he kind of hazing you out of the lineup? Well, you know what happened with Billy. Billy liked uh, Billy liked the veterans. He didn't really want to. He he didn't want uh, Tony Canigliaro the year before I came up uh, to stay. Uh, had such a great spring training that it, it was it was incredible. And so they talked about bringing him up and he, you know, he, Billy just didn't really feel comfortable with, uh, with the, the young kids. So I made the team myself. I think Dalton Jones was there and, uh, Jimmy Lomborg and, uh, the, uh, Tony. And it was just, it was just hard to communicate with him. I mean, uh, he, he wasn't a bad man. I mean, he's just, that was just the way it was. And, and one day, you know, he been putting me in and out of the lineup. I was struggling a little bit, but I wanted to play. And he sat me down one game and I had an argument with him on the, on the bench. And I went to the clubhouse and I didn't come back on the bench the whole game. And, uh, so <laughs> Next day, big headlines, Petrocelli's fine. $2,000. Yeah, I was making $6,000. <laughs> Holy jeez, $2,000. Wow. Uh, so uh, I guess they brought it down to $1,000. And I had to pay $1,000. And, uh, you know, I, the rest of the way, it was $5,000. <laughs> That's why we had jobs in the offseason. I had job in the off season for five years, first five years of my career. But, um, what yeah, did you do? I worked for an oil company. Uh, they had, uh, gas stations and fuel oil for the homes, big company, wonderful wow. people, big fans, Red Sox fans and all that. And they, I learned a lot about business from them. That was terrific. But, uh, yeah. And then Billy got fired eventually. And, uh, here comes Dick Williams. Now, I know that in some of those years, attendance was, shall we say, sparse. Uh, <laughs> how discouraging was it to play in front of a park that could seat 30,000 plus and have maybe two or 3,000 people in the stands? Yeah, it was, it was not fun. Plus the fact that we didn't have a good team, 65 and 66, my first two years, we lost 199 games. So when the fans came out, they were, they weren't very happy with us. So they were all over us. And, uh, you know, at that time you could come in to watch batting practice and boy, as soon as the gates open, you can hear growls, growls like bears and, you know, tigers and, rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> can't wait to get to us. Oh my goodness. But, uh, you know, it was just, just bad teams. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, after that and, and being a, a rookie, my first year and then the second year, you know, I just wanted to play, but it was sad losing that many games. I'll tell you, boy, it was, it, it, it uh, put a lot of actually even more pressure on you because it wasn't fun to play, you know, to lose all the time. Yep. 
1967 starts out. You go to New York. A kid named Billy Roar is pitching. Yeah. And he's pitching a no-hitter for seven and two-thirds innings. And a guy who eventually joined the Red Sox, Elston Howard, broke it up. What do you yes. remember about that game and being in the dugout? And did anybody talk to Roar and no. all that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, nobody talk, knew it. You know, halfway through the game, he had a no-hitter. And it was one play, though, was one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. And it, it's not on enough in, uh, uh, you know, in these promos for Major League Baseball. Karl Yastrzemski, I think it was, uh, uh, it was either Tom Mantle. Tresh. Oh, I was right, right. Tom Tresh hits one the left field. I mean, Yaz seemed to to run like a uh, hundred yards, going back, going back with his back to home plate. He dives and catches the ball. Oh my God! Everybody was, wow! Did I really see that? What a what a catch! And that was the closest thing, you know, to the hit to getting a hit. Uh, and then we get into the ninth inning. Now, Billy. Billy didn't have a great fastball. He had a sinker and he had a very good curveball, a little bit of a changeup too. So it was, uh, but he had good control that day. And uh, in ninth inning, I think it was two outs, Ken. Uh, yeah, it could have been positive. Yeah. Uh, but here comes Elson Howard, who was uh, towards the end of his career, not hitting that well. And Elson gets hits one off the hands handle. And bloops went into right center field. Tony came running in Reggie Smith and uh, uh, Tartable, I think, was in center the first game. But anyway, they came running in and just couldn't get there. And, oh, my God, at that point, we all hated Elston Howard. Oh, you <laughs> rat. <laughs> you got to hit this kid. This kid was throwing a great game, blah, you know, and uh, but he did pitch the one hitter and uh, you know, it was a great game. And um, well, Jim Lombard told me himself that Elston Howard was a great catcher when he came over and a great guy to work with. How quick did he mix in with you guys? Right away. I mean, uh, you know, as I mentioned, he wasn't hitting as well as in its prime, obviously. And but he could catch and he could throw, still throw. And he did get some big hits from us, but he but he he settled the pitching staff down. He's you know, they had a lot of confidence uh when he was in there. And uh you know, we had uh, Mike Ryan and uh uh as a great defensive catcher and Russ Gibson also. Russ was a Massachusetts guy. Uh but at this point, you know, it was really serious. We were contending. I mean, we were right up there at that point, and we got him, and boy, it was terrific. And he made that great play in Chicago when Tartable threw the ball, and uh, we got the runner out, and it saved the game. And Elston had the jump for the ball, but he what he did was he was he blocked home plate with his foot. <laughs> Ken Berry was the runner, and he could run. And, uh, and that saved the game and really, really helped us. Uh, that was a big play. Dwayne Josephson was the guy who hit the ball, I think. Okay, yeah, Dwayne would be with us <laughs> after that. Huh. <laughs> That's nice to know. I forgot about that. Did you get along with, with Dick Williams? 
Well, I don't know if that's the word, getting getting along words. Uh, <clears throat> but but Dick was tough. He was a disciplinarian. He, although uh, <clears throat> he managed AAA for the Red Sox, who at that time were the AAA team was Toronto. Yep. I think it was for two years, and he won the championship two years, and he was bringing up all, you know, he was developing all the young players who would come up uh, in 67 and and 66 who came up and uh yeah uh dick was very tough boy i tell you he if you made mistakes he would let you know even though you it was obvious you know you miss a cutoff man or didn't get the bunt down uh he'd stare you down when you came to the dugout boys let don't let it happen again and uh you know i it took us a little while because he he preached the fundamentals and at first we were eh, not so good for a couple of, well, first month of the season. Then we got better and better at it. really did. And we came a very good, uh, became a very good uh, fundamentalist fundamental team. And uh, that helped us win a lot of games. I, I know you've discussed it before, but for you, other than that catch, what were some of the highlights for you guys as far, and maybe you personally, as far as the 67 season, you guys, as they used to say, caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh, exciting. I got off to a good start. I was hitting the ball, getting hits. The average was up. Yaz after the first month, Yaz really didn't start hitting the home runs after the first month. I don't know how many he had, but boy, he started pulling the ball and man, he was, uh, well, you know, his statistics were that year, but we had some great games. We had, uh, you know, we Cleveland, uh, I remember, you know, hitting home run to win the game against them. I had a grand slam against Minnesota, things like that. And you know, doing a pretty good job in the field. Uh, but, but other guys were also having good years. Uh, George Scott, for instance, at first base, you know, over 300 Reggie Smith was just a great talent and he was having a good year too. So there were, there were a bunch of guys, uh, but the, the big thrill that year, and Tony C was there, of course, was us making the, the all-star team. He, yes, Tony and, uh, and Jim Lawnbor. And that was a, just a great thrill uh, to be voted by the players, and uh, by the way, uh, to be on that all-star team. All right. Everybody knows what happened <laughs> at the end of the season. You played the St. Louis Cardinals. You lost in a, in a great seven game series 1968 was the quote year of the pitcher unquote yeah. i remember because bob gibson had a 1.12 era and That's they amazing. decided they decided to help the pitchers by lowering the mound so when they did that was it harder for you to hit uh not harder but uh, i mean guys like gibson and other pitchers, you know, they won over 20 games that the next year also. Uh, I think Mickey Lolich and uh, a few other pitchers, uh, Catfisher maybe. Uh, but anyway, they, they, you know, they had it. See, the American League, I think, had one 300 hitter, and that was Yaz, 301. Yep, that's right. And yeah, Danny Cater, I think, was second 290. I'm not sure, but I think it was 299. But that, and that was it. It was an off year. 
And so why did they have to make the change? They panicked. The MLB panicked and said, oh, we got we to gotta lower the mound. Uh, <clears throat> and so they thought it was an advantage for the hitters. There were, there was, uh, especially in 69, there were more home runs here. That's when I hit 40. And, uh, yeah, I hit them off uh, some very good pitchers and some, you know, younger pitchers. And so, <clears throat> but uh, I, I thought that they, they just made that decision, you know, a little too soon or they shouldn't have made it at all. Uh, but it happened. And then, of course, the DH came on uh, a few years later. 73. By the way, Louis Tion had a 1.6 ERA, I think. With twenty some wins, really at the time, yeah. Oh, Louis! Wow, he had That's, some great years. Uh, over yeah, well, I know he did with the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, Sixty nine, Dick Williams got fired. I yeah. couldn't believe it. Was it was it fair to fire him at that time? Well, Dick Williams, like Billy Martin, two guys who could really be great managers with good teams. If you started losing. Then they had a rough time. And so what they would do is start to get on players, you know, individual players, maybe calling them out. I remember, I don't know if it was that year, but uh, I remember Billy called out one of his pitchers as being, uh, for use of a better word, uh, he, he's gutless. <laughs> you know, I mean, that gets out in the papers. And Dick... Dick had a problem that year with yes, with yes, yes, guy, uh. triple crown winner. I mean, and at that time, <clears throat> he, uh, he was hitting home runs again. I mean, he was hit, he uh, hit over 40 that year or 40. And one day, in, in uh, we're in uh, uh, Oakland, and yes, is on third base, and a, either it was a ground ball or a fly ball, for uh, he was t tagged up. And he was out at home plate and Williams was just, oh, he was, smoke was coming out of his ears and he thought Yaz didn't hustle, which was ridiculous. I mean, Yaz wasn't the fastest guy in the world. I mean, you know, so, I mean, whoever it was made a good throw and he was out and he came back and he got on Yaz. I think he took him out of the game. I mean, that's, a, we were all, our mouths were open. What? What the hell? Of course, it was written in the papers uh, in Boston, and there was, what the hell's he doing? You know, he's, you could see the change in Dick. Just couldn't, couldn't stand losing, period. And if you recall, when he went to Oakland, he won, and he had, yep. he had great players, and he won there, and he was all oh, wonderful, you know. But, uh, yeah, he got on Yaz, got in the papers. Mr. Yorkie heard about it, called Dick Williams up to the office, and he said, you know, what's going on? And Dick didn't think he hustled. And I said, you know, uh, Mr. Yorkie, <laughs> this is our, our, our top player. I heard that he did hustle. He just not, doesn't have the speed. And Williams, then Mr. Yorkie said, you know, in, a, in an article, they asked him about all of that. Then he, and Mr. Yorkie said, you know, uh, they asked him who his three best uh, uh, managers were. <laughs> and he said, this guy, this guy, and Dick Williams. I'll give it to Dick Williams. And Dick got mad. Got mad at Mr. Yawkey. Felt he was the best. 
he was that's how dick was a little arrogant uh but he you know he did help he helped players i mean we had me yaz and other guys had the best best years uh playing for dick so he had some bad points but he had some really good ones too and he was a very good manager field manager would he have been the right manager for the 75 red Sox as opposed to daryl johnson uh, yeah, I, I, it's possible. It really is because yeah, we, although, although we had a good team, Daryl kind of let us play. We had a lot of veterans on the team at that time, except for two young guys who would be pretty, become pretty good ball players, uh, <laughs> by the name of Jim Rice and Fred Lynn. Yeah. I've heard those names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they turned out to be two great players, but they had great years. Uh, but uh, I, I think Daryl did a good job. He might have been the right guy because of he kind of just let us play. I mean, you know, we just went out there, played hard, and uh, you know, he handled the pitching staff. Uh, we had a good we had a good pitching staff, good bullpen, and uh, we got off to a great start. Kind of a hypothetical question: uh-huh. If the '75 Red Sox would have played the 67 Cardinals in the world series. Would you have beaten them? Well, I, I say, yeah. And I'm reason I say, yeah, is because <clears throat> Gibson would have been tough. We might've beaten him a, a game, uh, but uh, after Gibson, they really didn't have, you know, uh, a, a number two guy. I mean, a real guy that could also, you know, whole teams, uh, shut out teams and hold teams to uh, very few runs. Uh, th- th- they had guys that were hittable, uh, but they had a great offense. And uh, Jim Lomborg, don't forget, Jim Lomborg uh, beat him twice. And they, one I think was a one hitter and the other one was a two hitter or something like that. So, you know, with him uh, or in 75, we had Tiant, we had Rick Wise who won 19, Tiant won 18. Uh, the bullpen with Drago and uh, Roger Moret. Roger was 14 and two. He had great stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, yes, it wouldn't have been easy, but, you know, depends. Now, if we played in 67 um, with Gibson being younger, now in 75, he would have been older and maybe he didn't, wouldn't have the stuff. So it all depends on where, where we played. What year we played. <laughs> All right. You were in probably uh, the greatest World Series game ever played. Game six, 75 World Series. Yeah. I was on my way to work that night at WBZ, had a radio with me. Kurt Gowdy called the home run that Bernie Carbo hit to tie mm-hmm. up the game when you were behind six to three. Yes. I think I scared my cab driver and we almost <laughs> went off the road. But my uh, question is, I mean, I'm sure you found out later on, if you read Carbo's book, that Carbo was on substance abuse and, and all that kind of thing. Did that mm-hmm. anger you at the time that a ball player would do that in a World Series game? The only thing we knew about Bernie was that he did smoke marijuana. And there was a group of guys that smoked marijuana on there because one day we were on the road. Uh, 
that year and Zimmer was the coach and he and I were waiting for the elevator. But when the elevator opened, I mean, we almost hit the floor. <laughs> uh, you could smell it in the op. And they, there were five guys in there. Bernie was one and uh, Spaceman was the other. And the other three were uh, some of the other players. But uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we knew that he did that, you know, but never knew what uh, what else went on in his life. And it it, it was incredible. And there were times when Bernie would hit a home run and come back to the dugout and say, was that a left-hander or a right-handed pitcher? <laughs> and we'd laugh. Ah, oh, he's joking around. He was serious. He didn't know where the hell he was. Bernie would go at night after a night game and go around the, the city to try to get drugs, cocaine, especially, and marijuana. And then... Before games, night games, he would do the same thing. We had we I, none of the players that I know of knew knew about that. And he had a rough childhood. And then eventually his I think his daughter became an addict, and I think his wife became an addict. Uh, they had divorced eventually, but he went through hell. And then Bernie uh, was going to commit suicide. And uh, in, in uh, what was, where were we? In Florida. It was, uh, that's right. He was going to the, uh, uh, what do you call there? What we do? <laughs> fantasy camp. I'll get it. Fantasy camp. Yeah. He was coming to the fantasy camp. He, he was, he told us, he was thinking of committing suicide. And he called, uh, he called the, uh, the division of major league division, uh, uh, Sam McDowell, the, great uh, Cleveland pitcher was ahead of this. And he talked to him, but Dowell said, no, don't go to the hospital, get, get some, you know, get some help there. So he goes to the hospital and he's moaning and groaning. And he's, there's, there was a guy next door next to him, but the, but the drapes were, you know, he couldn't view him because the grapes were, uh, the drapes were around that guy. And Bernie said, I want to die. I want to die. And he heard a voice sent saying, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And Bernie said, what? And he's telling <laughs> us the story. He says, what? The guy says it again. Bernie says, what do you mean? So and he explained this guy was a Christian. And uh, <clears throat> in fact, I think he was a pastor. But anyway, he talked to Bernie. Bernie made the commitment to, you know, to, to change. And uh, I saw him at the fantasy camp. And I said, how are you doing? He says, he told me the whole story. He says, holy geez. I said, that's, I said, it's great. You know what I mean? Uh, that you could change your life. And I said, you know, this is going to be a test here at the fantasy camp because Raditz was there and Gary Bell and a bunch of other guys, <laughs> characters. Yep. I said, you know, hey guys, have a, have a drink after the, after the fantasy camp games, they came back, stayed near the hotel pool, and there was a bar there, and you know everybody drank. So Bernie, he 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 didn't do it. He didn't drink. He went to his room, and incredible things happened. He he got divorced. He married a girl who was also a, a strong Christian, and they moved to Mobile, Alabama. Bernie was 
totally clean and he's well like a preacher now and he it's because uh, his you know what god did to him get did to his life and it was so great to see but you read his book and see what he went through as a kid and yeah. then as an adult oh my goodness i'm yep, so happy I, for him yep the fact i interviewed him he invited me to come to his fantasy camp yes How do you like yeah. that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went, it's a good one. It's a nice yeah. small, small one, but now, he's a great guy. You, you guys got a chance to get a fellow named Luis Aparicio <laughs> and they, I, I'd love to say that name and they, yeah. and they, they moved you over to third base. Now, mm. if, if they had not gotten Aparicio and you had stayed at short, would you have retired as soon as you did? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. I loved shortstop. That was my position. When I moved over to third, I was a shortstop who moved over to third, <laughs> still a shortstop, tried to feel like a shortstop. And, uh, <clears throat> well, thankfully Frank Malzone was scouting and, uh, Frank really helped me out uh, at third base with positioning, you know, how to be ready, watch the bat. Uh, don't watch your pitcher because if you do that split second, that ball is hit, you know, it gets down there and it's hit and wow, it's past you. So he helped me. Uh, I mean, I don't think I would have been able to play, play well at third base. if It wasn't for Frank. So that was great. No, uh, yeah, I love the, short though. Ken, the designated hitter came into existence in 73. Yeah. Had you given any thought at the time of trying to catch on either with the Red Sox or anybody else to ju do just that? Well, no. Uh, well, what happened was <clears throat> at 77 spring training, I went down there. Uh, there was rumors that I might get released. And we went through whole spring training. And then about the 27th of, of uh, March, I got a call at uh, – Don Zimmer was the manager. He wanted to see me in his office. And I says, up, oh, here we go. Uh -huh. So the general manager was in there. I got in the room, walked in the door and the general manager read this release document that I was being released. And it was, it was kind of, you know, it was just shocker, even though I had a post, I, you know, I kind of knew that it was going to happen, but anyway, so I had a talk with Don Zimmer and, uh, you know, he said, you know, it wasn't just my decision. It was uh, the, the organization was, Hey, you know, I understand. I understand, you know, uh, and then what happened after that, after I left uh, to go home, uh, we called about four different teams. And at that time they had their rosters, so they, they couldn't make changes. They told guys that, you know, they were going to go to the big league team and, and, and that was it, but they, they invited me to spring training and I says, okay, yeah, maybe I'll go. Thank you very much. And then when I got back home after probably a couple of week or so, actually it was a week, I get a call and it's one of the radio stations. And I, they said, would you like to do a talk show a couple of days a week with a guy named Glenn Ordway? I says, oh my God. Yeah, I said, gee, that's, uh, that, that sounds great. I can kind of ease away from the game, you know, talking. And then I get a call from the Herald and said, would you be interested in traveling with the team and writing a, a, a ghost article? You know, you call in afterwards and you 
give you opinion of the game. I said, wow. Uh, yeah. And I accepted that. So I was on the road with the team and then we hooked up with, uh, with Glenn, you know, in the studio and did the talk show. I was on the phone. He was in the studio. So uh, it was a great opportunity and, uh, man, uh, I had fun. I really had fun, but I did hear from one player that I criticized and it was my close friend, George Scott. Oh, the boomer. <laughs> The boomer went to his right and, you know, in a few years back, he would have scooped it up with, you know, like nothing. Well, he goes to catches it and can't get there. And I says, well, George Scott had the opportunity, you know, to get the ball, maybe for a double play, get him out of the inning. But he just looks like he's losing a few steps out there, you know, and it's fielding. Well, <laughs> <laughs> The next day he heard probably from his wife or you know somebody called would call him. And he's he looked at me. I said, Boomer, how you doing? He looked at me and he just he wouldn't talk to me. He didn't talk to me for three days the rest of the, the road trip. And I said, geez. So one day, you know, I got got into the bus. He was there and he came over and he says, forget it. Forget it. Yeah, you know what? I should have had that ball and I would have had it. And that was, you know, that was it uh, because it was, it was a close friend. We were teammates. And so, but that year, that was, that was just fabulous. Uh, I mean, because I was, I broke away gradually. Then the next year was just broadcasting. And I've been broadcasting, you know, talk shows and all that since 1977. Yeah, and you're good at it. I've heard you do broadcasts. Oh, well, I had fun. I, you know, I just had fun. I did one year with Ken Coleman. Yep, I remember that. that. Yeah, and that was, I uh, that. That was great. So, When and how long did you manage? You managed for a while. Yeah, yeah I managed uh, three years with the uh, White Sox organization, and I managed a year with the Red Sox, and then a four or five year, I think it was five years as a coach, uh, and roving instructor, that type of stuff. And, uh, enjoyed that. Yeah. We had, uh, I was fortunate to have Mo Vaughn came down from the big league club. He was really struggling the first month. They sent him down and then John Valentin, uh, we got, then we got Veritech and Lowe from the Seattle and they came to AAA. and uh, what a great deal that was. You could see, yeah. I mean, there was no doubt they were going to be big leaguers and they both had great careers. And then Valentin, Valentin was, I loved him. Not because yeah. he was a shortstop, <laughs> but <laughs> you're sure about that. Yeah. We got rained out on the road in Virginia and uh, in Richmond and Norfolk, six games. We had to make them up back home because they were scared. They were scheduled to come at this was at the end of the year. So we had six double headers in six days. Ken. Wow. Six double headers. So we're fighting for to get into a playoff spot. So first two games, uh, <laughs> he plays, uh, Valentin plays. Okay, good. He's all right. Next two days, Valentin plays. And he's okay. The third day comes into Mace's, uh, uh, skip, skip. Uh, she's uh, getting a little tired. You think I can, uh, you think I can, uh, you know, get a, at least a game off or maybe a day off? 
I looked at him. He said, uh, John, how old are you? He says, I'm 21. He said, I said, nobody 21 year old gets tired. Get your butt out there. <laughs> he smiled and he played all six double headers. Wow. I said, this kid, oh, we knew he was going to be a big leaguer, but this kid is tough. And he played, boy, and I tell you, I was on his side for the rest of his career. <laughs> yeah, if I, I remember, yeah, if I remember my history, he was involved in a triple play with the Red Sox. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And he hit, uh, I think he either hit for the cycle, or he hit three home runs a couple of times. No, he was a heck of a player. Then they wanted to move him to third. He was very happy about that. Mm. So I think now, they eventually traded. Yeah. 79, you, you only did one year on radio. Were yeah. they unhappy or was that your choice? No, no. The, the I wanted to stay, but uh, the president uh, decided that uh, he had the opportunity uh, to get and uh, what's his name now? Come blank. John uh, Miller. Yeah, John Miller. You know, he did the game of the week with uh, uh, with Joe Joe Morgan. For years and then he does a he was doing the giant games still so, does yeah and so they said they had the opportunity to get him that you know maybe they thought i was going to get back into baseball and anyway they made the move and i still you know i still did uh, talk shows and all that but uh but it was great that one year and uh right. with the with the socks let's take a couple of minutes and discuss the current situation uh, opening day was supposed to be March 31st, which I think is kind of early to start a baseball season. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they keep trying to add more playoffs. Now baseball ends in November or on Halloween. Uh, ball player salaries are enormous. They sign 10 year contracts. What about all this stuff, Rico? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm surprised as everybody else. I thought that, uh, you know, with the way uh, things are going in baseball, I mean, the owners are making a lot of money. They got great contracts with TV uh, and the players are making a ton of money. I mean, you get the 25th player on the team. He's making a million dollars unless he's a rookie. They want the, uh, the minimum salary to go to $775,000. Which I could live on that. Yeah, which isn't too shabby. Uh, that's a whole career for a lot of us. But, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, no, times have changed. I, I don't begrudge the guys, but uh, there's little things. And it seems like, Ken, it's a, more of a power play than anything. You know, uh, the luxury tax, they want, the players wanted to get up to, two. I think, two, 245000 And that means owners can can pay more money without getting, you know, uh, getting taxed as they call it and, and have to pay money out. So they can't get together on that. And it was a couple of other things that, are, you know, arbitration, uh, yep. uh, uh just, uh, you say, were you kidding me? They can't compromise on this stuff. You know, neither, neither group wants to, I mean, it that's must it. hurt. It must hurt you. It does me. I have loved baseball all my life. And to the best of my knowledge, baseball has had more work stoppages than yeah. any of the other sports. Absolutely. And it, it's very sad. 
it's it is sad and you know the other team the other sports their competition with them now you know spring training if it was spring training was going you'd see articles about the players you know and and uh, baseball news would be in the papers uh you know what's been in the papers is mostly uh, these negotiations and people don't like it uh but baseball no they're not worried about it you know the nbc wants to do games they're negotiating with major league baseball to do i don't know 20 30 games for uh, 20 games for 150 million dollars so there's mm. more money coming in mm. okay you know so, but i don't understand i really don't it's obvious that they don't care they don't care about you know missing games so tell our audience what you're up to now and and do you still go to the ballpark still enjoy going to a baseball game well, Fenway Park is great. Anybody who who goes to Fenway, and it's a great experience. They've done a great job with the ballpark. Uh, <clears throat> the ownership has been terrific to us former players. Uh, when we go to the park, they can't do enough for us. So I really appreciate that. And I'm still doing some broadcasting. I'm on Sirius XM, uh, Channel 89, uh, the Major League Baseball station with uh, – uh, Ed Randall, the co-host, and uh, we do a nostalgia, you know, remember when. Uh, and then I do a, a collect sports collectible show with a with a, a, a gentleman, Tom. He's great, and it, it, the <laughs> the baseball card industry is absolutely unbelievable now. Not just baseball; you got football cards, you know, basketball, and so on. There's a ton of stuff. And it's really going for a lot of money and there's more, a lot more collectors in it. So I'm doing that show. It's all, it's an hour show. We, we interview, uh, guys who own these, uh, these auction houses, they sponsor. we got eBay as sponsor. we got some good sponsors and that's been going good for about four years. I've been doing Sirius XM for about 10 years, uh, <clears throat> and pretty much, uh, you know, enjoying, some golf when I can, when the back holds up, <laughs> uh, yeah, the health is decent. Yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah. So I keep him busy. I, uh, grandkids, they got, you know, go to games and all that. So I've been, I've been blessed. I absolutely, my wife and I've been blessed. And when I say blessed by God, that we, he has been so good to us, uh, that I can't, yeah, we're in Florida now. So the only way I get to Florida is if I can do some stuff for the Red Sox, which are paying, you know, uh, appearances or something else comes up. Plus the radio is a few bucks. And so with that, that money where we can go to Florida for a couple of months. So, I mean, <laughs> wow. You still uh, play the drums? No, I fool around with the piano. I love the piano. Mm. I've always loved music, jazz, I know you, rock. You, you did an album. With Somebody said to me, ask him oh. about the album that he did with John Kiley. Yeah, it really wasn't. Uh, we didn't really plan it too well because I, was, I went into the studio. The drums were there. John was there with an organ. And he just started playing some of the songs, that, uh, you know, raw, raw songs. And I was just hitting the drum, yeah. hitting the drum. That's all two, four count, you know. And next thing I know, there's an album out. Holy cheese. 
<laughs> Don Kyle and Rico Petzelli on the drums. <laughs> I said, I didn't really do anything. <laughs> so, but well, uh, well, good. You know, it was a good experience. I got to tell you, you want to talk about being blessed. We are blessed to have had you uh, to be in Fenway Park. And again, I, I'm blessed just to be able to sit here and, and talk to you. It's one of the great thrills of my life. Um, oh, so I always, always admired you. And, and to be able to sit and have actually two conversations mm -hmm. with you, that ain't so bad. <laughs> oh, we have, that was fun, you know, talking baseball. Uh, it's great. I, I mean, I, I like all sports, but, but baseball, uh, you know, goes back so many years and all the things that are happening. It, it seems like there's never a dull moment. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing, and I'm just saying this because, I mean, I don't have to, but <laughs> Red Sox fans are great. They really yeah. are great. I go to the to the games. We are in that luxury suite. That luxury, yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah the, the Red legend. Sox, the legend suite, yeah. And yeah. I talk to people, and you see the fans having such a great time, and and they the Sox have really everything in hand. You know, they have good security just in case, uh, yeah. and it's it's terrific. It's it's an experience, and the fans you know, I are had great. I interviewed a guy named Larry Rutman who wrote a book about American Jews and American baseball. Mm. And he said, there's a lot of things that people don't remember. And very quickly, do you remember the first major league ball game you ever went to? Yes, I absolutely do. <clears throat> and it was none other than Ebbets Field. Uh, the die. I knew you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. My brothers took me there because they were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates and they had a uh, terrible team. They were in last place for I don't know how many years. Uh, Ralph yeah. Kiner, but Ralph, they love Ralph Kiner. You know, he was, yep. uh, he's, he hit 50 home runs a year. And guess who was at second base for the Dodgers? Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. I got to see him in person. What Pee a Wee wow. Reese. Reese Hodges. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, man, what a team. Yeah, you you mentioned. You mentioned the Pirates. I remember a remark Joe made, and he said, we were so bad, we had games lost before the National Anthem started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were bad. <laughs> well, listen, we're almost out of time, Rico, but I can't thank you so much for your time. And, and please know that if there's ever anything I can do for you or you want to publicize, keep my phone number under your pillow. I certainly will. You know you can call me anytime. Well, Ken, I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you, reminiscing some. And uh, like I said early on, you're, you're an icon. You're a legend uh, in Boston. People who might not know of you, uh, you have done some great work in Boston, production and, and, and in broadcast field. So it's an honor to be on with you, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank listen, you. thank you again very much for your time. And that right. will do it for this edition of city talk good night everybody thanks for listening to another great conversation with ken meyer and friends you can contact ken by email the address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com that's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com tune in next time for more conversation with ken meyer on city talk <laughs>